gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Right? Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. And this week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from Who Gives a Crap Toilet Paper with Director of Customer and Content Marketing at Intellum, Shannon Howard. Our planet, our future rests upon your cheeks. Every day, over one million trees are destroyed to make traditional toilet paper with Who Gives a Crap's Recycle Blue Roll, Bums of the World. You can stand, nay, sit down for what you believe in. Shannon, how are you? I am so good and so thrilled to be talking about TP today. (laughs) Well, you know, I was talking to Meredith and we said we need to bring on the biggest party pooper in the world. And I think that she took it literally. And that's why we're bringing you on is... Because you you know more about parties and pooping and toilet paper than our average guest. She's the one. Perfect. This. My whole life has led to this moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Starting off, why the heck did you pick who gives a crap toilet paper? Okay, this is very, I don't know if I want to say on brand for me, but we were talking about where do you get inspiration or you know B2C campaigns. We talked about books. And I can't say that marketing influences me on books. I find things at the free library, you know, the little free libraries around town. I, you know, find things at the local library. So that's just how I like pick my books and TV shows. I don't have a ton of those. I feel like as a marketer, it's sacrilege to say I don't follow pop culture, but I don't. So there's that. And then we got to another bullet point was like B2C marketing campaigns. And you said, well, you know, you're in B2C marketing campaigns. And I thought, the toilet paper company. That's the one. It's a brand I love. I think they're doing really cool things. They have great marketing. I'm entertained by it. So yeah, that's what made me kind of pick TP. And you are a bathroom humor aficionado. Like it's not just the, no. like, the toilet paper no, marketing. No, it's not just the toilet paper. It's uh, the inside. It's like the heart of a six-year-old boy. The humor <laughs> of a six-year-old boy. Yeah. This is... Meredith and I were talking about our Instagram reels, how we've carefully curated our own Instagram feeds to serve up an appropriate mix of cute stories, animals, and then bathroom humor, for sure. It's true. How do people at work, do they know your passion for bathroom humor? Not, I don't know if I talk about bathroom humor specifically. Humor, for sure. I'm forever dropping a a comment in the chat or making a joke about something that's happening. And yeah, I don't think I can make it through a meeting without it. It's just, this is how I roll. Roll, get it? Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and you're, of course, the Director of Customer and Content Marketing. And tell them, so tell us a little bit about the scope of your role and what falls under you. 
Yeah. So Intellum is an extended enterprise learning management system. So if you're going to educate customers, partners, employees, if you have kind of a mix of audiences of people that you're trying to talk to about your product, educate them on your product, that's where we come in. We help people deploy those programs through our platform. And so the way our marketing team is structured, we have a director of product marketing, director of demand generation, and then me as director of customer and content, which is kind of customer content, social, PR, events, field marketing, kind of all that rolled into, which I was very pleased in our first conversation, you all mentioning, you're hearing more team structured like that. And yeah. I think it's very fun because you know product marketing is a great function. Demand generation is a necessary function, but being able to kind of be in the middle. And I said to my colleagues earlier, I feel like I'm the tee up. I'm not very good at playing sports, but I'm, I'm trying to learn those analogies. Of like I tee up like the spike or the the slam dunk or something in basketball. You know, I'm there to tee them up to like crush it. You're like the toilet paper roll holder, you know, they can just rest mm, on you yes. and, Ooh, and uh, yeah. conveniently yeah. located. Okay. I can get down with that analogy for sure. Meredith, what the heck is who gives a crap toilet paper? I could talk about toilet paper for hours. So it's a recycled toilet paper brand who really pride themselves on creating this product that's better for the environment. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. How do you do-do? They say it like has no inks, dyes, chlorine, or artificial scents. They say it costs the same as other brands. However, when I looked it up, it was like a 24-pack of their toilet paper rolls cost about $38. If you were to compare it to other brands like Cottonelle, Angel Soft, Quilted Northern, they're generally around like $24, $25. So it is a little bit more expensive, but they can be delivered or picked up in store um, and most orders ship free. And it was rated the number one most sustainable toilet paper by the Natural Resources Defense Council. It's the best. Um, but most importantly, and this for me was like, what would bring me across the line of like buying from them is that they have this awesome mission to spread, well, to spread toilet humor and make the world a better place. And to do that, they're using 50% of their profits to build toilets and fund sanitation projects in developing countries. We're donating 50% of our profits to WaterAid. WaterAid helped the world's poorest people access clean water, sanitation, and hygiene education. They're literally saving the world from the bottom up. So I thought that was really awesome. The company was the company, meaning who gives a crap toilet paper, was started by Simon Griffiths, Danny Alexander, and Jehan Ratnatunga, and their engineers and product designers who started this in July 2012. And Simon came up with the idea after he found out that 2.4 billion people, or about 40% of the global population, don't have access to a toilet. The bad stuff ends up in waterways, causing diseases that fill half the hospital beds in the developing world. According to their website, that number is now down to 2 billion, but they started the company by crowdfunding. And this was really funny. They started this campaign on Indiegogo. Part of that was Simon vowed to sit on a toilet in their drafty warehouse until they raised enough pre-orders to actually start production. I'm sitting down for what I believe in, and I'm not getting up until I've got some toilet paper, $50,000 worth. Till then, you can jump on our website and see me sitting right here on our live feed. They even had a live feed during the campaign of Simon just sitting there, totally bare-legged, in a blazer, waiting. Bit of help. And so he sat there for about 50 hours, and that's when they no met their way. goal. 
he must have actually used that toilet at some point, I have to say, 50 hours. And so they raised over $50,000. It's like 64000 now. I thought it was interesting that one of the notable investors was Mike Cannon-Brooks, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Atlassian. But oh, funny. Yeah, super funny. I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But they launched their first product in March 2013. They now also offer paper towels and tissues. Each roll is wrapped in this recycled paper that's colorful and they have like playful prints and they have funny like quotes on them. And that actually has a purpose, right? It's for sanitation purposes, even though some people might be like, is that wasteful? But it does have a reason for being there, the recycled paper. Plus those supermarket rolls are almost always wrapped in plastic, which can take over a thousand years to decompose. I thought it was interesting that during the toilet paper shortage in March of 2020, Who Gives a Crap reportedly received about 40 times their normal daily orders. And they they also went out of stock and they racked up this wait list of around 500,000 people, which was wild. But they not, they've now raised over $13 million in Australian dollars. If you were to convert that, it's about 8.6 million US dollars to go to their projects I think they just started a new product line too called Good Time, and it's a line of clean, environmentally friendly shower products. So it's like soap, shampoo, and face wash, and they're all in like bar form. And they've already won awards and been recognized by Allure and Cosmopolitan. So they're doing these really awesome things. And for me, like I said, I think the thing that really like differentiates them from other toilet paper brands is that they have this awesome mission that they are like following through with and reporting on and they've been recognized you know by a lot of different sources that it was crowdsourced in the beginning so like they already know they have an audience behind it that's going to buy from them and then they've taken this one product that everyone uses every single day and this is even before like march of 2020 where toilet paper was you know suddenly so important they took this product and like Something that people probably don't even really think about and are so used to buying like the typical like Charmin and whatever brands and just like rethought it and like totally reprocess what that could look like and what that could mean as a product and are using that to market it. And I think that's just kind of revolutionary in a way. So that really set up to me. So Shannon, I'm wondering like, at what point were you like, I'm going to buy from them? What was it about this company where you were like, they're doing amazing things, you know? I think I knew someone who worked there and followed them on LinkedIn, which was kind of my initial exposure. Definitely the number one buying decision for me was it being an eco-friendly product because that's always been a priority and value for me is to buy eco-friendly products and materials. Did you know 27,000 trees are destroyed for toilet paper every day? Wow. If we don't save trees, then we, we're going to die because... Trees give us air. They clean the clean the air from farts. <laughs> and then the give back component, right? If you think about some of these brands like Tom's or Bombas or even Better World Books, where your purchase goes and does something and makes a difference, like you're gonna buy toilet paper anyway. Why not buy toilet paper with a purpose? So I like that. And then just from a marketing perspective, they're incredibly creative. You were talking about they must have such a great time creating. And I think about as a marketer, how, yeah, like this should be a fun job. It shouldn't just be stressful and boring and plodding along. It should be creative and fun and and we should have a good time doing it. I think that's really important to like the work that you do. So I think seeing them thrive and do the fun things that they're doing just inspires me as a marketer. That's so cool. So their blog is called mm. Talking Crap, which is incredible. <laughs> On their favorite posts, which by the way, I love when people do 
favorite posts. But it's always content 101 is like put your three best posts that you want people to see at the top, like above the fold. They don't do it above the fold. So I wish they did, but we'll send but, them the podcast so that they know. Yeah, exactly. We'll send them the podcast. So the three articles on talking crap, their favorite posts are one, what is recycled toilet paper? which clearly very product focused. The second one is a playlist for your poo. Five poos, five playlists. (laughs) Or what to cue when you're on the loo. And then the third one is meet our impact partners. I mean, so on brand. So on brand. When you think about, Meredith, your intro to them about mission, potty humor. Yes. You know, why this thing? Why would you buy, what is recycled toilet paper? That's probably a weird term to hear for the first time. It makes you think very no impact man vibes. I don't know if you ever watched that documentary. Yeah. No. Okay. He uh, he wanted to make as little impact, environmental impact, as he could for a year. So he actually reused toilet paper. Oh, yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not no impact man. It's not the same thing. <laughs> You're not using someone else's used toilet paper, right? So some other stuff that they've done that's pretty pretty cool. They have solar panels. That spells out who gives a crap, which is pretty great. They have tons of really fun marketing, which we'll get into. They talk, I'd say, like equally about like silliness, uh, their impact and product, which I think is like a, a good blend. I feel like. What do you think, Shannon? Do you feel like that that's probably fair that they probably talk about all three of them sort of, yeah, like with a third of the time? I mean, if you thought about key messages and pillars, those are probably their three. And I think they anchor on those really well. Yeah, and it's funny to me because if you were to look at a B2B company and you're like, hey, 30 of your time you're going to talk product, third of the time you're going to talk about impact, and a third of the time you talk about sillies, they'd be like, we're not going to do that. We're not just going to be funny a third Mm -hmm. of the time. But probably would work. I mean, why not? I think the thing about humor is it shows a deep understanding of your target audience you have to make the right joke that lands, you know? So that's why I think memes are so impactful when people create memes for their industry. Because it's like, yes, you know the jig. You know what this is. <laughs> totally. You know what life is like for me. Yeah, so what's your favorite stuff about their marketing? Okay, obviously the humor, but I don't think it's just the humor. I think it's their people-first approach to marketing. We're all people. Who uses the most toilet paper in my house? My dad. Because he poops a lot. Me and my mom, because we have dairy intolerance. (laughs) Yay. I think I said this when we talked the first time. There's this joke about, you know, if you don't think that farts are funny, you're just ruining your own life. Because everybody farts. You might as well have a good time about it. You know what I mean? You might as well have a positive attitude. So I think in B2B, we forget that there's not a company on the other side of our marketing. There's a person. And they have dreams and aspirations and they have things that they struggle with and they have a sense of humor, you know, and life is so, you know, work is a lot. Everybody's been asked to do more with less. We just need something to break through the noise and give us a little reprieve. And I think humor does that kind of like meeting people where they're at and speaking to people directly. So I think that's a big part of their brand that I think we can kind of take that into B2B. Yeah, I mean, I go back to their blog, just positioning of like good crafts, good deeds, good fun. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a good way of thinking about things, right? It's do people want to know exactly what your product does? Of course. Mm -hmm. But like, you don't need to spend 95% of your time 
talking yeah. about your product. Like you really don't. Because your product probably does what somebody else's product does. Yeah, more or less, right? It's not going to be that different. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're following sort of like the April Dunford positioning stuff, then you mm-hmm. shouldn't really be talking about all the features and benefits. You should be talking about what is unique to you anyways. So like you should be talking, mm-hmm. you know, mostly about that stuff. Which is the idea that you would just take a section of your blog and just be like, yeah, we're just going to make funny stuff for our fans and hopefully, you know, new people. I just love that that's like a purpose and a direction that they would choose. And then, of course, it's executed brilliantly in their Instagram. And they just have Mm -hmm. great visual storytelling. They have great memes. They have great, you know, all that stuff. That's how you build an audience online. Like you build an audience Mm -hmm. online being funny or being, you know, interesting. And it's like... Mm -hmm. How is a toilet paper company going to be interesting? I've heard online that people want edutainment, right? So education and entertainment, if you can make the two work together. So they're not just educating you on toilet paper. They're also educating you on this problem that impacts the world. They're talking about deforestation. They cut down the the tree and make it into toilet paper. They're talking about how people don't have access to toilets and like sanitation, how that impacts world health. So they're bringing those things in, but in a way that's really organic and natural and funny. And, you know, I feel like, wow, what a great way to kind of tee up things where that can be really heavy topics, but you're kind of making them lighter and bringing them in into the marketing in in a way that feels really natural and organic. Trees shouldn't be in the toilet. (laughs) Those messages are honestly better received. You know, if 20% of the people, like, that really resonates with them, and then 80% of the people, maybe it doesn't super resonate, but you want to shape their behavior, then if you're posting 80% of the time about silly stuff and 20% of the time about serious stuff, it's going to land a lot better. But if, like, Mm -hmm. your account is just about deforestation 24-7, like, there's not really that much to talk about over and over and over and over again. And it would probably get a little bit old and a little bit stale. And it just doesn't keep it, you know, fresh. And it doesn't connect with people nearly as much as being seen, right? I want to end deforestation as much as I can too. But I also don't want to think about that every second of my life. And I think it's hilarious when someone, you know, posts a meme about somebody blowing up a bathroom or something. You know what I mean? So like, (laughs) it's just like, that's how we are wired as humans that like, we can't take on the emotional weight of things that are outside of our control 24-7. So like, the easiest way to get in there is through levity. And I think that that's like a good takeaway for B2B marketers where it's like, take a topic of like digital transformation, which is like Mm -hmm. all encompassing. If you're in IT, it's like all encompassing, right? It's like, hey, I need to figure out our modern tech stack forever. Like it's always on. It's always part of your job is you know, doing that. But that's not what you want to think about all the time. You really don't, even if it's your job. So if there's ways to see people with the funny sides of their lives, the funny parts of digital transformation, for example, that that's probably an easier way in to show your customers that you know what it's like to be in their shoes. Or even writing in a simpler, more human way, right? When I think about a lot of digital transformation, IT, it's incredibly dry. It's incredibly keyword heavy and buzzword heavy, and it's not very easy or fun to read. Or it doesn't even have to be maybe funny, just writing like people talk. I think that's something that we forget in B2B. I can't tell you the number of 
websites that I've gone to that other people have gone to and said, I don't know what this business does. Because it's just a bunch of keywords on a page and it's all the lingo, but it's not very clear, you know? And we forget, even for search, this is something I try to think about for content when I'm writing for SEO. Okay, I'm writing for a search engine, but I'm also writing for humans. I can't write for search only, right? And you shouldn't write for search only. You need to write for real people who are going to read your content and give them a reason to want to read your content if you can make it entertaining. And maybe you're putting GIFs in there or emojis, or you're breaking up the text, or you're giving some real life examples. Those are ways you don't maybe necessarily have to use humor. That's not part of your brand, but you can lighten it up a little bit. Any other B2B marketing lessons from who gives a crap toilet paper? Sure. I think one is about giving back. There's so many iconic brands. We were talking about them earlier around Tom's and Bomba's, Better World Books, these companies that part of their DNA is giving back. And that may not be the business model for everybody, but is there an investment in your employees, right? When you think about those companies that choose to stay smaller so that they can better serve their customers instead of growing to a much larger size, right? So can you invest in your employees? Can you give back Do you have a percentage of your profits that go back? Do you have DEIB initiatives? I think those are all things that people want now and kind of expect now from B2B companies. So I think we could kind of take that away of what does the give back look like? And then the other thing, if you get who gives a crap in the mail, when it shows up at your house, you know, you've got a joke on the outside, classic dad joke. Hey, look what just rolled up. But then as you open it up, (laughs) it's a joke. But it's also reminding you about their mission and purpose. So just, I think something that they do really well, and I want to say that B2C companies in general and consumer goods do this really well, is they pay attention to the details because real estate matters, right? End caps matter, packaging matters. And so that's a heavy focus for consumer goods. But we forget about that sometimes in B2B that everything matters. So if you have an autoresponder, an email signature, real estate on your website, on your social media, are you paying attention to those details? Are you personalizing them? Are you speaking to your customers in those things? The other part was surprise and delight, right? That that's a big part of B2C companies, but it's not something we always think about in B2B. We think about like, what is the thing that is going to provide the most value? But then you think about loading screens. And I think about there's some products that have these really fun loading screens. So Laudable did this AI case study grader called Grade My Case Study. And while it's loading, the loading bar is like just saying funny things, like what the robot is doing while it's processing or songs that it's listening to, little jokes that they have along there. In Asana, when you check off a task that needs to be done, you get a little unicorn or Yeti that like flies across the screen and they vary it up too. I think it just used to be a unicorn, but now there's a couple. I got an otter today. So just things like Mm -hmm. that where it's small, (laughs) it doesn't add value. No one's buying it for the unicorn, but it's a way to surprise and delight your customers. And that does make a difference. You know, I think we forget those little things can mean a lot more to people. They can be really impactful moments. So those are some things I think we can learn from a company like this. Be personal, speak to real people, find ways to give back. Mission matters in today's world. And then pay attention to those details and how your brand is shown through those details and how you can surprise and delight your customers in the little things. It doesn't always have to be like this grand campaign. It can be these small little details like a unicorn 
floating across the screen. I did this, we were building a, a learning management system. And I thought, okay, when someone gets a certificate, wouldn't it be really fun if confetti fell from the screen, you know? And the developer was like, there's a plugin for that. I can make that happen today. So just little things that they're just fun. It's more, you know, just more fun. Yeah. Life is a lot. Just more fun in your marketing, please. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the things that I had thought for years was like Amazon sending out all these packages. And I'm like, they have Amazon Prime. Why don't they just put their content onto the boxes? And then all of a sudden they started using, you know, like tape for their new shows that, you know, have that or when I think NFL, Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime, stuff like that. And you're like, Amazon, who's thought of everything, you know, it's like even they hadn't thought of being able to use some of the real estate to promote their own stuff. But that's like promoting your own stuff is one thing, but promoting your content is another. Promoting things that are helpful is another. Promoting just things that are funny or just having a funny line or a quip or something like that that goes a long way. Like so many companies have absolutely no personality. You know, what's interesting. We're making a show with someone and we go through like, if your show was sitting at a party and you went over to talk to them, what would their personality be like? Are they smart? Are they funny? Are they irreverent? Are they whatever? The most common answer is like Ryan Reynolds, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, is any B2B company's personality even in a universe of Ryan Reynolds, right? It's like, no, (laughs) not even close. But yet we want that. We want the smart, funny, good-looking, you know, secretly brilliant sort of person who has the perfect, you know, life to be what our brand is. Yet nowhere on our entire website, not even once, is there a single joke that we've ever told. You know, it's so silly. That's, I mean, hats off to a creative director at my last company because that's how she wrote the brand voice was if you were to walk up to our brand at a party this is what they would be like. Kind of this is their persona. And I like to think about, you know, we're in in an age of digital marketing, which people were in this online community earlier, like, why do we still call it digital? Or, you know, isn't it just marketing now? Why do we still have to preface it with digital? But to think about that in the real world, you know, thinking about gating content, what would that look like in the real world? Thinking about your brand and what would that brand look like personified in the real world? And that teaches you a lot about we're still humans. Even if we're connected through technology and devices, we're still humans. So if I think about, well, would this be normal, natural in an in-person environment? If not, maybe it's not the right approach for online marketing. Speaking of marketing, let's get into your work at Intellum. What's your content strategy? What is my content strategy? Okay, spilling all the beans. No, timely, because I'm working through this for next year. And I mean, it does tie to who gives a crap, right? Because we were talking about they kind of have these featured posts that tie to what I imagine their key themes are around impact, product. So anchoring content on a few key themes a year. And then thinking, and I'll shout out Justin Simon here for this kind of distribution first mindset of creating content and then thinking more about How am I going to repurpose that? And how am I going to take this piece of content and share it across different channels and not blast it across different channels? But how do I create, I call it, whether it's channel-first content or native content, something that's right for YouTube or right for LinkedIn or right for a blog instead of trying to kind of force feed one piece of content across channels. So that's going to be a big part of our strategy moving forward is really thinking about how do we create this 
native content for these different distribution channels? How are we getting our content out there in front of the right people? Because a lot of it now isn't just creation, it's that distribution. And then something that's been part of our strategy this year that will continue into next year is really the co-creation of content. And I'm a huge fan of this. And this is my, whether it's funny or not, it's probably unpopular, thought is nobody wants to hear from me. They don't. Nobody wants to hear from Shannon Howard. Nobody wants to hear from Intellum. Who cares? Who gives a crap? What they want to hear from is other people who are doing, I call it the thing. So whatever your thing is, our audience does education, customer education, partner education, learning and development. They want to hear from other people who are doing that job. They don't really want to hear from me. I might be able to take what they're saying and share it with the world, amplify it, but they want to hear from other people who are doing the thing. What are you doing? How are you doing it? What struggles are you running into? How have you overcome those things? Where have you been successful? So partnering with people to create content to answer those questions. And sometimes those people are our customers. And obviously, I want to highlight the voices of my customers. But Sometimes those are just people in the industry too. I don't want to only limit it to people who are currently customers. So that's a big part of our content strategy is how can we create with other people just better serve our industry and get in front of the people who might be eventual buyers of our product. Well, first off, I want to hear from you, Shannon. So whenever you're talking content marketing, content strategy, but I do totally hear what you're saying. And I firmly believe that the co-creation strategy is the way to go. Obviously, like... Mm -hmm. I wrote a book where it's like one of the pieces in the book is having co-creation <laughs> strategy. And I think that if you were to go back, you know, however long and say, hey, I could get, you know, 50 of the top CIOs to co-author a blog post for my blog, you'd be like, oh my, hell yeah, let's do that. And it's like, meanwhile, you can create a B2B series that does something like that. And I think that that's just... It's a different world than it used to be. And with ChatGPT coming up and like all of the tools around, around AI that are like that, that learning from your peers is even more important. And like I'm more interested in Shannon's content strategy than I am interested in a blog post that is just hanging out on a website. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just super important to like humanize all of that. So I couldn't agree more. I was just talking with Aaron Balsa yesterday, who's like a content marketing strategist and LinkedIn influencer, also my former boss. So I like to say I knew Aaron before she was famous. We were talking about that now, especially with AI-generated content, the need for subject matter expert insight because AI is going to spit out what it's been told. But how do you take someone's brain and put it into content? You know, And a lot of content even has been written for search. And it's written by content marketers who don't maybe know the industry. They don't know the nuance. I know that's something that's part of why I'm here at Intellum in this role is because I know the nuance of that industry where I can say, okay, actually, maybe we change this a little bit here. Or maybe we add this example in here to put it in context for people. Because I, I understand the customer education world. So I think that's a big differentiator now for people too, is being able to leverage the subject matter expert insights in their content. So it's not another blog. It's actually really valuable and action-packed because it's got these firsthand insights in it. Yeah, I was talking to someone a while back and they were like, man, it's so hard to find a really good IT writer who can write like high-quality stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why are you even trying to find that person right now? <laughs> like, you should be a hub and spoke plugging in actual IT people 
who are mm-hmm. sometimes not very good at telling their stories, but have the information in their minds and figuring out ways to get the mm-hmm. information into a cohesive narrative and story that you can share with other people. Like the goal is not to like find the person who's super knowledgeable about, you know, data warehouses who just happens to be like a brilliant writer. It's find the data warehouse expert and then use the brilliant writer to tell that story more effectively. And that's honestly where I think the customer education skill set can play so well into content marketing because you're doing that subject matter expert interview, which is part of Mm -hmm. instructional design is you're not the expert. You're the expert in creating educational content. You're not the expert necessarily in the field in which you're creating content around. As that's where I think these two overlap really well is how do I talk to, because I don't know if you've ever talked to people where you're trying to get something, you're like, "Mm, yeah, none of that makes sense to anybody else, right? You go to the data warehouse guy and he's talking, you're like, I don't understand any of that. But how do you ask the right questions to pull out what it is that you need from that person so that you can put it in a way that makes sense to other people? And I think that part of the thing that, again, people get wrong with that is that your customers have tons of stuff to say other than what it's like working with you and using your software Mm -hmm. and what onboarding was and implementation and all that other stuff. That part is all super valuable for part of that go-to-market and part of your content. But the other stuff that they have to say is also really interesting. And there's not really mechanisms to share that stuff very often. No, I have a LinkedIn post that I drafted the other day about this. Of There's companies like Metadata that are creating playbooks and they're leveraging how customers are using their product. So it's thinking about, yeah. well, what is this problem that I have? How do I solve the thing? And then how can I use this product to solve the thing? You know, so being able to give people those plays. And in B2B marketing, it might be a little bit easier if you're marketing to other marketers, you're giving them marketing plays. Here's exactly how this person did it. You can go take it and apply it. But I think if those use case type pieces of content will be so impactful for people because to exactly your point, once people are post-implementation or post-sales, they don't really care about those case studies and that content. They want to know, What are other people doing? How are they using the product? What more could I be doing? I mean, I can't tell you at different companies, the number of customers that have said, how do I get more out of your product? They know there's more. How do I get that more out of your product? What does that actually look like? And I think that use case type content will be so huge and a great way to leverage voice of the customer because it doesn't all have to be case studies. It can be their thought leadership in the industry, you know? That was the big thing when I came in, the CEO said, I just want to see our customers and our content more. And it doesn't have to be case studies. It can be what they're doing, the programs that they're running, the education content that they're creating, and how they've grown their program over time. It doesn't even have to talk about the product because that's really interesting to people too, is what are other people doing? How are they doing it? And it can be product agnostic or not. How do you think about the ROI of content marketing? How do I think about it versus how do I do it? (laughs) I think in my current role, I would say we are very early days of the ROI of content marketing. And I think because it wasn't a big area of investment for marketing for us until this year. And so we have more of those 
leading metrics around page views, website traffic. So in, in the first six months that I was here, we doubled our blog traffic, right? So we can measure things like that and show growth and progress. And we're looking at downloads and we can do things like that. We're standing up a marketing automation platform right now that will help us better track the buyer journey and then be able to attribute content to the sales process and where leads are in their process. But I also think, you know, a lot of data, we think very quantitatively, website traffic, page views, downloads, revenue influence. But even qualitatively, I'm hearing from people who are reading our content and saying, hey, this is really helpful. And I'm hearing from sales that they're talking to people and they're referencing our content. And they're saying, oh, I read your thing. I attended your webinar on this. And then even, I mean, I've had people who work for our competitors reach out, say that they're using our content as part of their business case for their program, or they're using it to prove the ROI of their program, right? So I have these qualitative things that while I'm working on proving that hard number ROI, I can say, okay, but we're moving in the right direction, right? This is what content should be doing for us is creating some noise and not noise for the sake of noise, but noise in the sake of brand awareness and reach that we're actually like connecting with people. And so I think that that qualitative feedback has been helpful to show movement and progression in combination with some of those like leading metrics for content. Do you have any favorite content that you're working on? Yeah. So earlier this year, we released uh, a video series with one of our customers. So this was actually kind of their idea. They wanted to chronicle their journey of creating and going to market with their education program. It was called the Making of Gusto Academy. And it was a behind the scenes of how they built their strategy, kind of what was their initial charter, the mission that was given to their team. How did they grow the team, create the content strategy, actually develop the content, find the right technology partner? And how do they go to market? How do they actually announce this to the world? And then how are they measuring the impact? And so it was this tandem series of video content, blog content, and produce like really awesome videographer working on the actual story of it. So not your traditional case study, but actually walking through. And it was very engaging, but also very inspiring. There's a point in the video where their team won this award for customer education. And the thing about customer education is it's an incredibly valuable function for an organization, but it's chronically undervalued in organizations. And so our customer walks into their company's lunchroom and someone announces that they've just won this award for their education program. And she gets a standing ovation from her colleagues in this lunchroom, like standing out of their chairs and clapping. I was like, oh my gosh, do we all not live for this? Number one in general in our jobs, whoever you are, wouldn't you love a standing ovation for your work? But especially how meaningful that is in customer education and to be able to show other people how they did it. And yes, our technology was a part of that. How did they do this? And she goes into even like how they prove the value of their program, even the model of it. So there's like an image that goes along with how they ladder up those metrics to actually show the business impact of their education content. So that was an awesome campaign. Highlights a customer, adds a lot of value to the industry, kind of this multimodal campaign, but very fun. And honestly, like got really great engagement and feedback from people. Also made a lot of other customers say like, I also want to tell my story, which is for us, like a great thing. We want more customers kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, Hey, I would love to share what I'm doing with my program. Always keep the cameras rolling. Big takeaway. It's pretty epic. 
giving someone an award in front of their company is like one of the coolest things. My friend Ari does this cool thing. When he does awards with people, he goes to their CEO and has the CEO record a video for that person and then shares it for the first time at the awards ceremony. And it's just, I mean, people are moved to tears to have their CEO acknowledge them for the work that they've been doing because it happens so infrequently. And that's no fault of the CEO. They have a, a ton of people to keep track of and a ton of things on their plate. But to give someone that recognition for a job well done, I mean, it just goes a long way. When you think about human first, people first marketing, you all want to be recognized and appreciated and valued. And so it, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge impact. Any other content or campaigns that you've worked on or are working on or stuff that's coming up or anything uh, exciting? Yeah. So one of our kind of content acres is around research and learning science. So that's been a big brand pillar of ours is just being data-driven, whether it's with our marketing and our content, if it's with our product development and product strategy, what does the data actually say? And, and then how do we implement that? And so we did this great study with Forrester in 2019. So Forrester does use like total economic impact reports that show you the ROI of working with your company. It was a total economic impact report of customer education. So what is the ROI of customer education specifically? And that was an awesome piece of content because here you have this tier one analyst saying, hey, 90% of customer education programs have a positive ROI. And you see this percentage decrease in support tickets and this percentage increase in customer retention. And they're you know, showing this data, which customers and well, just people in the industry in general, they're using that to make their business case for customer education. I used that data to make the business case for customer education at one company. And then People are pulling it into their, you know, when they're speaking at conferences, those are the stats in their slide is from this report. So we're working on more research, gathering more data to prove the ROI of customer education, to talk about what people are doing, kind of what are the trends that we're seeing, what are people deploying in their programs, just so people can bring that data back to their own company and say, hey, well, here's what other companies are doing with their programs. So I'm excited to work on that. I love working on research reports and using that to inform our content. Because then it's not just Shannon's thoughts or someone else's thoughts. It's, hey, well, this is what we can say the data actually says. This is what it's showing or or here's what people are doing. And I think that's incredibly powerful, whether you're making a business case or a presentation or just getting ideas of what you want to do with your program. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. Our listeners should go to Intellum.com to learn more about the platform that everything you need to engage and educate your audience is, go to intellum.com. Anything else to promote or plug? No, I mean, definitely follow Caspian Studios on LinkedIn. You could follow me on LinkedIn. I don't, <laughs> I mean, maybe you'll find it engaging and entertaining. Yeah, but I just appreciate you both making the time, obliging me, and to talk TP. Um, not a topic you talk <laughs> about every day in marketing. So just glad we could kind of go there and have a good time with it. And then, Hope people found some of this useful. It was extremely useful. And I can't wait to talk more bathroom humor with you in the not too distant future. Shannon, it's been wonderful. Thanks again. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies, so if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B.
And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>